Does anyone know uh, the ninth beatitude or the so-called ninth beatitude, which is sometimes referred to as the lost or the forgotten beatitude? In Matthew uh, 5, right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, we have these eight familiar or better known beatitudes, blessed are or blessed are the poor in spirit and the meek and those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and so on. There are eight in total. But what about the ninth? Well, we find it in Acts of all places. For anyone who is visiting or new to Windsor, we have been reading our way through Dr. Luke's sequel to his gospel. That is the book of Acts. And this morning we come to Acts chapter 20. Uh, We're not reading every chapter, or we're not covering every single incident. We're just kind of investigating certain key moments So if you have a Bible, could I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 20? It's page 1116. If you do, or if you are able to see a copy of God's Word, it's going to be really helpful as as we go through this morning. But we find the ninth or the lost or the forgotten beatitude in verse 35 of Acts chapter 20. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And on a Sunday, whenever we're thinking about volunteering and serving others and giving of our time and our energy and our talents and our creativity, it seems really appropriate and timely that we have come to this verse and this thought today, which, by the way, is coincidental. Uh, We didn't actually plan it like this. We are not that good. We're not that prepared. It just so happened that when we thought about having a volunteer Sunday, we chose this Sunday, which coincided with Acts chapter 20. Thank you, God. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, notice, and I've put the full verse on the screen, but if you have a copy of God's Word, you'll see it. Notice that Paul was quoting Jesus, he says. Okay? So the Lord himself says. And so the obvious question to ask is this. When and where did Jesus say that? What gospel do we find that in? Who can tell me the answer? None, correct. None. Now, there are some recorded sayings of Jesus that sound quite familiar or similar to this one. So, for example, Matthew 10, 8, Jesus says, freely you have received, freely give. Similar, but not the same. This is new. This is different. And therefore, we can only assume that it falls into the same category that John spoke about right at the very end of his gospel. In John 21, 25, this is the very last verse of the gospels. We read this. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. And so that must have also been true regarding what Jesus said. Not everything written down in the Gospels. One other interesting comment, and that's where where this particular saying of Jesus falls. One other interesting comment, Paul only quotes Jesus twice. In his 13 letters, stroke epistles, he only quotes Jesus twice. Here, the first time, Paul quotes him. And where else? The challenge for you this afternoon is to find out The other challenge for some of you in the rest of this sermon is not to go online on your phone and discover the answer, okay? I am watching you. It is more blessed to give than to receive. 
What this is, is another one of those, you know, upside down kingdom principles, kingdom values that characterizes so much of the teaching of Jesus and the rest of the New Testament. So it kind of fits in with comments like, the first will be last and the last shall be first. What's that about? Or whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. It's kind of similar to those. It's alternative. It's out of sync. And there is something about this so-called ninth beatitude that jars initially because, let's be honest, receiving is great. We like to get, ask most kids, and I'll guarantee you that as far as they're concerned, receiving trumps giving every time. Which is why this lost beatitude tends to be quoted quite a lot around Christmas when pepper parents are trying to restore perspective, aren't they? It's better to give and receive. But in a world where grabbing and taking and having and accumulating appear to be the norm, then this saying of Jesus does seem a bit upside down. It does seem a bit back to front. Although, in saying that, we've got to recognize that even for those who don't follow Jesus or embrace a Christian worldview, they actually would agree or accept, do you know something? Jesus was on to something here. There is evidence to support this frequently cited biblical phrase. This does make sense. As I say, from people who who wouldn't say they follow Jesus or accept the Christian worldview, they would say there is something about that particular saying of Jesus that that we agree with that does make sense, that does carry weight. I was reading in psychology today. I don't often read their material. Uh, But as I was preparing for this morning, I came across an article on their website entitled, Giving Really Is Better Than Receiving. And in this article, they were affirming this kingdom value, but purely from a psychological viewpoint. In fact, they were all suggesting that science supports this. And so in that article, they quoted a recent science journal uh, study that found how people's sense of happiness is greater when they spend relatively more on others than on themselves. So it seems that despite its upside-down nature, there is a a lot of truth and substance to this, widely recognized. It is more blessed to give than to receive. But what we mustn't miss is the word more. Because this is in no way saying that receiving is not or never a blessing. It is. Even at at a basic simple level, most of us have received so much in terms of life, education, family, friends, the kindness of others, and we are blessed to have received those gifts. Plus, at another level, many of us sitting here have found ourselves and acknowledge we are on the receiving end of so many other blessings, grace, mercy, forgiveness, hope, eternal life, the Holy Spirit. And therefore, it is important that we don't read this beatitude or this saying of Jesus and we forget or we downplay the blessing that it is to receive. 
But what this beatitude and this teaching of Jesus quoted by Paul emphasizes and highlights and stresses is that giving is critical. It's more. It is more blessed to give. Receiving is a blessing. It is great, but it's more blessed to give. Let me read you this quote from Charles Abraham. I'm someone after Anna's own heart loves a good quote. Uh, that kind of captures what he believes Jesus is saying. This puts it far better than I could. This is the key to life. If you give of yourself your time, your energy, your talent, you would start to really enjoy life. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive, meaning you are in a greater state of blessing when you are giving than when you are receiving. Man was not designed to be selfish. Man was not designed to live for himself. Man was created to live for a purpose outside of himself. Back to the quote that Mark said at the start of the service from Winston Churchill, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. Or what about this rather succinct and profound phrase, to give is to live and to live is to give. Just read that, it's brilliant. To give is to live, and to live is to give. And the key point I want to make this morning before we kind of move on and look at at the rest of this chapter is that the more that we commit to the practice of giving in all areas of our lives, the more we bless God and others through our lives. It's just a kingdom value, kingdom principle. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And the more that we do that, the more God does what he does best. He blesses us. It's it's incredible. I mean, even Gordon read that that, that phrase out from John 13. If you do this, if you serve one another, if you embrace my foot-washing example, if you do this, you will be blessed. It's life-altering. can be. And therefore, this morning on Volunteer Sunday, as you'll hear in a little while, there are more opportunities to give of your time and your energy and your gifts and your talents and your resources. Please, can I encourage you to consider stepping forward and signing up and offering your services. Thank God for what we have received. But don't forget, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Okay, let's move on. Because in the time left, what I want to do is, first of all, speak, or in a moment anyway, to a very specific group of people. It's a relatively small group. But what I want to say to them has much wider implications because it impacts all of us as a church family and community. After that, I want to share and finish by sharing the importance of encouragement and how each of us can encourage one another. Acts 20 covers a lot of ground. I I would encourage you to read it if you get a chance this afternoon. But Acts 20 covers a lot of ground. Geographically, it covers a lot of ground, and other ways, content-wise, it's it's crammed. But it also contains a warning about the danger of preaching and speaking for too long. (laughs) And so maybe I need to mention this incident and speak to myself for a moment, okay? So Paul makes his way to a place called Troas, where on the first day of the week, people come together to break bread. It's church as we know it. 
It's actually the first reference to the believers meeting on the first day of the week. Paul is the guest preacher speaker. Listen to what happened. If you have a Bible, track it with me. Verse 7. On the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them. And since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. The upstairs room where we met was lighted with many flickering lamps. And as Paul spoke on and on, a young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill became very drowsy. Finally, he fell sound asleep and dropped three stories to his death below. You're not quite sure how to react to that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyone know what the name Eutychus means? means lucky. Really does. And on this occasion, he was because Paul raised him from the dead. If you look at verse 10, this is the last of eight occurrences of raising the dead in the Bible. But if nothing else, if nothing else, there is an implicit lesson there about the perils of preaching or speaking for too long. So note the self, point taken, and let's keep going before anyone nods off or before anyone else nods off. I'm watching you. (laughs) So Paul moves on. So literally he moves on. Physically he moves on. He leaves this place called Troas. I'm sure there's much more to say about that story, by the way, but I'm just going to keep going, okay? Because Paul has set his sights on arriving in Jerusalem by the day of Pentecost. And so if you read down the chapter, you'll see he sails past Ephesus. And he lands at a place called Miletus, which is about 30 miles south of Ephesus. But from Miletus, he sends word to the elders in Ephesus that he wants them to join him in Miletus. Because he wants to speak into their lives. If you look at verse 25, he says, do you know, I'm never going to see you again. I mean, Ephesus was a very special place to Paul. The church was very special to Paul. The leaders there were very special to Paul. But here in verse 25 of Acts 20, he says, I'm I'm not going to see you again, never. So I want you to come and join me because I want to speak into your lives. And so in a sense, what we read here is Paul's farewell speech to the uh, elders in Ephesus. It starts in verse 18. It runs to verse 35. It is the only recorded speech of Paul in Acts to believers. Every other speech, like the one we looked at two weeks ago from Acts 17 in Athens, is directed at or to non-believers. This is the only speech recorded in Acts to believers. Now, Paul says a lot, although he doesn't say too much. There's no risk of anyone falling asleep again. But right in the middle, he says three specific things to the Ephesian elders. And this morning, it's that group in this church, the elders at Windsor Baptist, that I want to address for a moment. But please remember what I said a moment ago. What I'm going to say has implications for all who belong here and worship here. And so men, verse 28, keep watch over yourselves. It's absolutely imperative that you as elders of this church guard your hearts. That before you look after the spiritual welfare of others, or as you look after the spiritual welfare of others, please make sure that you tend to and nurture your own relationship with your Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
the expectations or qualifications or characteristics of an elder that you find spelt out in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 1 are significant. They are weighty. They are huge, actually. But with all that responsibility comes this core central exhortation and instruction from Paul. Keep watch over yourselves. Take responsibility for looking after yourselves spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically. Take care of you so that you can then serve and give out of a resourced interior life. Be men of God's word, men of prayer, men of integrity, men of character. Guard yourselves. That's what Paul says to the Ephesian elders, and I want to echo that to the elders in this church. And the second thing, keep watch over yourselves, verse 28, and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer. That, that's this lot. The elders of this church have a watching brief. There will be hassle, and I don't have time to unpack what Paul's saying to the Ephesian elders, but it's true here. There will be hassle from without. That'll come in all kinds of forms, in all sorts of ways. There will be hassle from and tension from within. For example, Paul says, there will be false teachers who rise up among you. And he describes them as savage wolves. And sometimes they will come like sheep in wolves' clothing. And elders, it's up to you to protect this flock. a serious responsibility, a serious calling. But notice you're not in this role by default or randomly or even solely as a result of a member's vote or election or a selection process. What Paul says here, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. You are spirit-infused, empowered, and led, and that enables you to watch over others with confidence and hope, not in and of yourselves because of who you are, but because of who God has created and made you to be as he has empowered you and filled you and infused you with his Holy Spirit and called you to be overseers. And the third thing that Paul says to these Ephesian elders, and again, it flows from what he's already said. It's right at the end of verse 28. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Do you know, the final part of that phrase makes it really clear that, that this church here and the people here are valuable and special. They cost a fortune. The price tag that hangs around the neck of every single person sitting in this room reads Jesus. That's what that was all about. That's what this is all about. And that in itself should be a motivating stimulus and inspiration to keep watch over yourselves and watch over these people. They are a precious commodity. They are, we are the rescued people of God. But it's not necessarily that second part that I want to really emphasize, although it's so important. It's the first part of the phrase, be shepherds of this flock. And wrapped up in that image and that identity is the need to care for and feed and protect and lead. 
And that is what you must do, elders. And you must do it by God's grace. And you can do it by God's grace because you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. The role of a task or the role and task of an elder in this church and any church is a privilege, but it does, as I say, come with significant responsibilities. I personally thank God for the godly elders in this place who have served and who currently serve. And to them I say, watch over yourselves, watch over this flock, be shepherds. And how they do those things has a profound effect on you. They are people who give a lot. And I want to remind them it is more blessed to give than to receive. But given their impact and influence on the rest of us, I encourage you to pray for them. And we're going to do that right now. And uh, I'm going to ask the elders to stand. They didn't know I was going to do this. And I don't apologize. But I'm going to ask the elders to stand for a moment. If they could just do that now. I know not all of them are here. Nigel's away seeing Johnny and, uh, Johnny and Hannah in Spain. But if the elders who are here could stand. And in the silence, I invite you to take a look around and I invite you to pray for them. And to pray very specifically that they would be helped and enabled and empowered to do these three things. And so let me encourage you to take a moment and do that. Amen. Have a seat, guys. Last little bit, and this is literally two in one minute. Look at how this chapter starts. Verses 1 and 2, when the uproar was over, this was an uproar that had happened in Ephesus. When the uproar was over, Paul sent for the believers and he encouraged them. Then he said goodbye and left for Macedonia. And while there, he encouraged the believers in all the towns he passed through. Twice in there and elsewhere in the chapter, we read about how Paul went around encouraging the believers. And this morning as I close, I want to encourage us to encourage one another. Like this kind of is, is the way church works so effectively. Whenever we encourage one another and draw alongside one another. And in this text, Paul encouraged others in three ways. And this is the, the ways I, I, I implore you to encourage one another. Via his presence, he spent time with people. He got alongside people. He went from house to house. That is how you can encourage someone here this morning, by just walking alongside them, by being with them, by spending time with them, by drawing alongside them. He encouraged through words. Verse 2 says, he spoke words of encouragement to the people. The importance of what we say and how we say it cannot be overemphasized. Think of someone you could encourage this morning just with a simple word or two. And he encouraged via actions. Verse 19 says, Paul served others with humility and tears. There was an active quality to his encouragement. And so this morning, my three points are these. It's good to have three points. Three points are these. Please do encourage one another through your presence, your words, your actions. Point two, please do pray for the elders. Elders, please do those three things. 
And my third point, please do consider signing up to be a, a volunteer and to serve in this church. And in each of those three points, remember, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive.